Carson Delgado is a nurse practitioner at Body Balanced Care. She joins us to talk about integrative medicine, amino acid therapy, bioidentical hormones, and nutritional counseling, how these issues can lead to addiction and make it more difficult to find sobriety. Enjoy. Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Neider. I'm a husband, a father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. We are so excited today to have Carson Delgado with us. Carson is from Body Balanced Care. And um, she's been working in the substance abuse and mental health industry for quite some time. Carson, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shelley. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, it's fun. And we've worked a, a little bit together in the past. And so we know each other just a little bit. But maybe give um, some background to the listeners as to how you ended up in this field. Um, you know, maybe, maybe what drove you and what got you here and a little bit about your background. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so I graduated in 2008 with my degree in family practice, and it was all allopathic medicine. That was all that I ever knew. Um, so then I worked five years in a, a clinic, a family health center, and I just found that I was writing prescriptions, like five prescriptions on average per patient, and then they would come back and have side effects, and I would write more prescriptions, and I just felt that that wasn't the way I wanted to to hone in my, my care and my practice. I wanted to really try to get to the root of the matter. So I began to have a, a passion for mental health and wellness, having dealt with some postpartum issues myself. And I started to look into integrative ways, you know, alternative therapies to help with the mood and the challenges that people face. And then that kind of, I launched my own practice in 2012, Body Balanced Care. And I work with hormone imbalances, thyroid dysfunction, mental health, you know, and mood disorders, and I really just try to get to the root of the issue and help support people so that they can feel their best, and it's been really rewarding. Um, Jared Casey, he, he approached me a few years ago and discussed his need for a medical director for I Am Recovery, and I, I just loved the whole, you know, plan that he had and what he wanted to do with, with the patients that were dealing with addiction, and so I said, absolutely, of course, like I jumped on board, and I've been um, serving as a medical director there for the last few years, and it's been very rewarding. And and I have worked with Jared. I do really love the program that he runs over there. And, and kind of like you, he wants to get to the underlying problem. He wants to really address what's causing substance abuse disorder, right? Because it's a symptom. It's not the core issue. I don't think it's ever, very, very rarely is it ever the core issue. Right, right. There's always an underlying reason and, and there's always something that can be treated, whether, you know, medically with prescription drugs or with something natural to help someone overcome an addiction. And so in, in the people that you've treated, um, and I'm always curious about this because I know we know that mental health and substance abuse 
really correlate closely together. How often do you see somebody that just has a substance abuse disorder and it's not connected with some sort of mental health issues? I would say never. There is always some depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, um, schizophrenia, by, by, um, borderline personality disorder. There's always, always another diagnosis attached with the addiction. Okay, here's another question I like to ask because I'm always I'm always wondering this in the back of my head. In my in my practice, when I was um, starting off as a therapist, a mental health counselor, <clears throat> I started working at a halfway house for women coming out of prison, and it was life changing for me. Right I, to hear these stories, and I'm like, you know, one nine year old. I'll tell these stories someday, but one nine year old who said she said at nine years old I was safer on the street than I was in my home, and she wouldn't talk about the trauma, but right? I can see your eyes getting big and going, what in the world? What nine-year-old wants to be on the street as opposed to at home and what kind of trauma? And I'm like, these women don't belong in prison. These women need, and I get why they're there, but they need help, right? They really need that mental health. And so my question that I always have in the back of my mind is how much of our mental illness is attached to traumas, even if it's not big T traumas, right? Those really you know, rape and abuse and all of those kinds of things. But the little T traumas, those insults that we get, you know, on a daily basis that we might just think are normal because it's all we've known. How often would you think that mental health is connected to trauma? I would say almost always. And I believe that it's, it's learned like the behavior at a very young age. If you come from a family with addictions, then your environment to help you learn coping skills and mechanisms to deal with stress and, you know, self-worth and identity, those, those go by the wayside. And then you are more prone to having an addiction yourself as you get older and you're exposed to these little and big traumas because you don't know how to handle it. You don't know how to cope with the scale of what, what has happened to you. Yeah. And it's so true. And so talk a little bit about how you approach treatment with clients that's not, and, and granted, I know insurance companies, they want to see us give medications, right? These, these clients have high acuity sometimes and, and they really, they need to sleep. They need to, you know, have less depression, less anxiety. They need to be able to manage some of that maybe with medication for a while so that they can actually go in and do their work. What's your approach and how do you manage some of these symptoms that you see people coming in with? So I, I meet them where they're at. I'm a big believer in you've got to meet them where they're at, what they can do, and what they're able to do financially as well. So like you said, indeed, I will prescribe sleep medication. I will prescribe antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications to help them get over the hump of withdrawal from the drugs. And I mean, there's a huge imbalance in the biochemistry of the brain when someone stops using drugs, especially if it's been for a prolonged period of time. You're going to have low dopamine levels. You're going to have increased adrenaline. You're going to have drops in serotonin. And so um, a lot of times there's a deficiency of GABA. So I'll, I'll treat them, you know, symptomatically with the medications. And then as they're able, you know, they start to, to have a job that they're holding down. They're able to have an income and they can afford a little bit more as far as supplements go. Then we can approach things from the root cause of the issue so, for example, a lot of alcoholics, they're drinking because there's a GABA deficiency in the brain, and the alcohol temporarily affects that imbalance for the, for the benefit. So what I try to do is put them on high doses of GABA. They need significantly more than the average person um, to rebuild and restore those GABA stores. 
um, somebody who has typically been taking a lot of uh, Xanax and Alprazolam. Um, we'll also have low GABA, so we work to restore those. Methamphetamine use is typically somebody who's low on dopamine. I can't tell you how many patients I've had that come in and they said, as a little boy or little girl, I had ADHD. I was on medications for ADD and ADHD. And then they went to the methamphetamines because they were trying to fix an imbalance of low dopamine. So we put them on L-tyrosine and the cofactors like vitamin D and uh, ashwagandha and um, vitamin D and a bunch of cofactors to build that dopamine back up in the brain. And so these aren't immediate fixes, but over the course of several weeks to months, the patients report, like, I do feel better. I can tell a difference. And they're less prone to using drugs to fix the imbalance because we're doing that for them. It's really, really rewarding. I love it. I love to hear that. And, and um, I've heard um, a lot of different ways that you can approach that, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. I'm wondering... Um, what effects do you see? Because, you know, I'm thinking about a client who comes into treatment and they, you know, a doctor will spend months and sometimes, sometimes nine, 10 months, a year trying to get them on the right medication, the right, you know, uh, depression medication or anxiety medication that fits their needs and does what they need. What are results? And so you say, you know, it might take them a a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but I see people trying to get their depression balanced out or their bipolar balanced out taking a long time to get on the right combination of medications. Um, So, how, what do you, what, what results do you see when you're working with these clients? Yeah, um, unfortunately, when someone is presenting with a really difficult case and they're not responding to those medications, like the dopaminergic drugs or the serotonergic drugs, they, they have a deficiency. They have a deficiency that's so, so far gone, you know, because of drug use, they don't even have enough for the medication to take effect. So in those situations, I would, would use like some 5-HTP or L-tryptophan with cofactors because typically they have nutritional deficiencies that are tied to the drug use, right, because they generally don't eat much when they're on their drugs. So They probably are low on magnesium, low on zinc, low on their B vitamins, low on vitamin D. So those are all cofactors to producing serotonin and a lot of these other neurotransmitters. Um, So I really try to to use those supplements and encourage them to to wait it out, give it a few weeks, you know. They they typically will see benefit for sure. Um, There's also problems with, I don't know if you've heard of the MTHFR gene before, Um, it's it's called methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase. That's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. But that gene is very prevalent in our society today, and the mutation of that gene affects the way that we use folic acid and B12. And so if a patient has that genetic mutation, they won't really find much benefit from taking folic acid and B12, and they'll do better to take methylfolate and methylcobalamin, the form of B12 and folate, that will best benefit them with their mood, and with their energy and just their overall health. How often do you see that defic- that uh, genetic, do you call it a mutation, genetic mutation? How often do you see that showing up in the population that you're dealing with? I would say 99% of the time patients have this gene. Um, it's, it's quite expensive to test for and insurances don't like to test for it unless there's a real reason that we can find. So I often will base it off of their history um, but anybody who has dealt with depression, anxiety, every single patient that I have ever tested with that picture comes back with this genetic mutation. Sometimes one, sometimes they have two copies of the genetic mutation. 
So it just depends on the patient. Interesting. So how often are you prescribing methylfolate? A lot. Often. Again, in the patients that have the, the means to do so and the desire to try to treat the root cause, um, I'll do high-dose methylfolate, one to two grams uh, daily. There is a prescription-strength medication called Deplin that's 7.5 or 15 milligrams, which is excessively high in my opinion, but that is something that we can prescribe for patients as well if the insurance will cover it um, so that they can. But, I mean, I have a B-complex I give to a lot of patients. It's $15 for a two-month supply, so it is relatively inexpensive, and it's also very effective in covering the bases. Interesting. Um, when you treat men versus women, what kind of variables do you see happening there? So um, in, in men versus women, women don't need as much methylfolate, we'll say, um, than men need typically. And the other thing I like to look at is the hormones because, you know, men who have been on heroin for a long time or opiates for a long time, they're, typically their testosterone levels are in the toilet. They're extremely low. Um, and testosterone helps with dopamine in the brain. So they, they'll become depressed coming off their heroin because now they have no testosterone and they're just depleted of all of those nutrients to build it. So a lot of times I'll test men for their testosterone levels. I'll test their adrenals, like the DHEA hormones, the cortisol levels, to see where those are at because there's definitely a problem with the adrenals getting fried and just completely depleted because of amphetamine use or stimulants and things like that. So that's what I'll do for men. Um, and I also screen for thyroid. I had a patient who he had come off of heroin and other medications and supplements. Well, not supplements, but medications and drugs. And he was feeling horrible, just horrible. He was dragging every day. He was depressed, just felt terrible. And um, a lot of people just assumed, well, this is you coming off of the drugs. So this is, this is what it is. Um, but upon further investigation, he was telling me how his mother had been diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And I said, has anyone ever tested you for that? He said, no. So we did some blood work. And, you know, sure as shooting, he was low in, in a thyroid and he had Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So we put him on thyroid medication. We put him on, his adrenals were gone. So we put him on adrenal support. And it was just so neat to see he became hopeful, like, I can feel better. I can actually feel better. This is going to be great. And so it's been really rewarding to kind of follow him and see him improving over time. But, um, but yeah, for women, likewise, I'll test their estrogen, their progesterone levels. I'll look at their hormones and their adrenals because people don't realize this, but hormones are tied to our chemistry in the brain. They're tied to serotonin. They're tied to dopamine. And so if, if just treating them with the amino acids, like the L-tyrosine and the 5-HTP and cofactors is not enough, um, then I always, always will look at the hormones because they're tied to the mood as well. That's fascinating. And, and, and I, you know, I think people, I guess in my head, and this is my own personal opinion, that people generally feel better. And I know there's a stigma in the substance abuse industry of if you're on medications that are helping you, you know, stay sober, then and different medications than you're talking about, then you're not really sober. And and I think that stigma is getting addressed and is becoming less and less. But people seem to do better if they feel like they're on a supplement that their body really needs as opposed to a medication that's dealing with, you know, an illness, a mental illness of some sort. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and I, I do love the fact that 
the natural products work. They really miraculously work. They take time. They'll take longer than just a couple of weeks generally. So, you know, when you want a medication right away to help, I, I agree. I understand that, and I support patients with that. But, but getting your body weaned off of those and onto the natural therapies and, and supporting um, a deficiency and helping your body to build back up is it, I think it's empowering for patients too to feel like I'm taking control of my health and I'm actually fixing the problem. I'm helping my body to heal versus I'm just kind of bandaging the problem. Um, and again, I, with all of your listeners, I don't want them to think I'm against medications because I have used them and I continue to use them. And sometimes that is the only option that actually works. I understand that. But in a majority of cases, we can use natural therapies to help them wean off the medications and get on the right track for healing overall. Well, and I imagine you you probably, and you talk to this, probably get a lot of pushback maybe from the medical community that, you know, this is hocus pocus. This is, you know, this is quackery. Because, I mean, that's been out there. How do you, what is your, what is your experience with that? Do you get pushback? And, and how do you address that? So if I, if I find a provider that is, not a believer or, or doesn't know that I think the biggest thing is is they don't know you know when I went to school I was not taught any of this I wasn't taught about um, the cofactors needed to build serotonin and dopamine in the brain I wasn't taught about the amino acids I wasn't taught about adrenal function or how the hormones are interplayed with this so so for a lot of them I just you know we have good working relationships they do what they do best and then I do what I try to do best and, and we work kind of side by side because I feel like every patient on their healing journey has a path. And for some people, it's going to be medical, like allopathic, right? For others, it's going to be all integrative. I have some patients who are like, I don't want to be on any medications. I want to do this all naturally. And then there are patients in the middle that want to do a little bit of medical and a little bit of, of um, integrative. And so I just try to meet them where they're at and, and positions I try to just be friendly and open and kind and, um, you know, listen to their story and whether or not they want to listen to mine, um, I still try to respect them because they've, they've worked really hard to become what they are today. Yeah, definitely. And, and I agree. It, it has to be a co-mingle, right? We've got we've to learn to utilize this multi, um, I'm losing the word, but, but it, we have to come at it from a lot of different angles, from the mental health, the medical side. Right, we've got to look at all of those factors in order to get somebody really healthy. Right, their their health, their their exercise, all of those pieces are really vital, and I think we have to learn to work together. I know there's been in some industries there's been some conflict between one professional, you know, who does, you know, one type of service and one who does a different type. And I don't I don't think we have to be that way. I think we need to do it together. Right, and I feel like if we can leave our ego at the door. And I think that's, that's challenging for some of us because, and myself included sometimes, right? We, we think we're right and we think that what we're doing is the best way. But I've been learning, like the more I meet providers and I hear what they're doing and the different modalities they're using and how creative they are and innovative they're being, I'm just blown away by, we have this incredible, you know, a community of healthcare providers with different talents and abilities and gifts and we should use it. I think we should just help support each other and use what what someone else has and you know if I don't feel qualified or competent enough to treat a person you know because they're a difficult case or what we've tried hasn't worked 
I am more than willing to send them to another provider who I feel has the qualifications to do so. Yeah, super important to be able to do that because we all have limits, right? It's important as as providers to know that know our limits, know our weak points, and and to be able to have other providers that can fill those in. I love that thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just it's it's exciting. I love the time that we're in because there are so many new modalities that are being developed that I I don't have the brain power to know everything about everything. And I love the fact that we have providers that we can refer to or that I can call and ask them, like, what would you do in this situation or what would you recommend? And they're more than willing to assist. So I just, I love, I feel like our community of medical providers is becoming more fluid and more open towards each other in a collaborative form. Which is what we, I mean, we've been working on that for a long time. And I think it's, like you said, it's an exciting time because I think we're finally kind of getting into that space where we realize this is for the client. We've got to do this for the client. It's the best piece, you know, it's the best for them to coordinate all of these different knowledge bases, right? We're our specialties in different areas. So that's fantastic. Um, I, I've heard a lot about functional MRIs and using functional, you know, testing like that to see where somebody's, now I might be wrong because I'm. this is not my specialty, but to test, you know, looking at their hormones and looking at some different pieces like that and their brain function um, how, how do you determine test-wise, what kind of tests do you rely on to help you hone in on what's going on with somebody? So I'm, a lot of it I base on history. So I, I you know, hear about their history growing up and like how old were they when they started to use. And typically it's in the teenage years. And we always think, oh, it's because the teens are so hard and rough. But that's when hormones are starting. That's when adrenals are starting to shift and they're starting to need that support to help with hormonal balance. Um, and so I ask about their history and I ask about their exposures potentially to things. I ask about, um, you know, their, their birth history, like were they born premature or did they have any problems or complications at that point? So history is really big. And then, you know, that kind of helps to guide my, and their history of drug use and what were their drugs of choice and how long did they use and how heavy was the use, um, and that kind of thing. And how many treatment programs have they been in? How many times have they tried? Um, and then I'll do lab work, you know, I look at the hormones and the adrenals and all of those things. And then I kind of base it off of the history and the, the objective data that I have from the lab work, but also intuition. Cause sometimes I just, in my gut, I feel like something's missing or I feel like maybe we need to test something different than I typically do. Um, so it's not always a cookie cutter approach. But trying to use that intuition and, and knowing like what supplements to recommend or um, what medications should they try? You know, they've tried X, Y, and Z for sleep and it hasn't worked. So, so what do we have left and what would be a good choice for them? So I really do try to use intuition based on all of the other data that I gather. I think that's really fun. I know that I'm a fan of Daniel Siegel. And uh, Dr. Daniel Siegel, right? And he, he's, I've heard him share some stories of this, of this inner knowing, right? This intuition like you talk about. And he talks about the gut brain and that we've got all of these neuro, neurons firing in our gut and in our heart. And that there's information that's coming from there. And it's not just hocus pocus. It's not just, it's, there, there is science behind it. Um, and firing that's going on in our bodies, if we can pay attention, there is some validity to that that we've seen show up in the science. So I love I love to hear you talk about that, you know, that your gut feeling and, and the intuition. I think it's valuable. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and speaking of guts, like most patients who have a history of drug use have really messed up guts. <laughs> so that's another part of the picture, right? And I'm just getting into that more in depth. But but the challenge is, is you can't have a healthy gut if you don't eat healthy. And so a lot of them are just getting by. A lot of them are, are just eating what they have available, which is going to be the processed food, the sugars, and things like that. But um, but several of them, many of them, when they're in you know a program, they're they're really trying to make an active effort to eat healthier, more fruits and vegetables, and you know avoid caffeine and refined flours and sugars and, and these kinds of things. And that that can transform their gut just by eating differently. You know, I could try to give someone all the probiotics in the world and L-glutamine and all of these things to help their gut to heal. But if they're not willing to make the dietary change, which I know is hard, um, but it is the most effective way to help the gut to heal. Mm, that makes sense because, right, if, if they're not helping themselves, then all the, the nutrients in the world is not going to shift that and turn it around. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about the MTHFR gene, that methylation problem which is essentially breaking down the foods into smaller and smaller and smaller components so that they can be transported to the cells. Well, part of that methylation process happens in the gut, happens in the small intestine. So, um, so if they don't have good gut bacteria or they have an overgrowth of bad bacteria, um, they've been on antibiotics you know, many, many times throughout their life, they're going to have more problems with that methylation, that MTHFR gene, than others. Definitely. So, so I'm curious, talk about some of the successes that you've had. What, what do you see happening with these people that you're, that you're meeting with? So some of the success stories, um, like I've had, I've had that patient that I told you about the Hashimoto's who's doing really well right now. And then I've had others that I put them, they were on methamphetamines before and tapered off and they were off of methamphetamines and really, really just struggling with focus and mood and some depression and things like that. So I have a supplement called Balance D and it, it's essentially L-tyrosine with the cofactors like N-acetylcysteine and some vitamin C and things to help build that dopamine in the brain. So I started them on that and they love it. They love it. They say, oh my goodness, this helps me so much and they take it twice a day and it's helping them um, with their focus and concentration. Um, instead of being on Adderall, right, which would be an alternative. So, so I've seen a lot of benefit with that and then with anxiety and with sleep. So I've had many patients that I put on the GABA, and I have them do high-dose GABA three times a day, and that helps their anxiety a lot, and it helps them to sleep deeper at night. So that's been really, really beneficial too when they come back and they're like, I can think clearly now and my mind is not racing and I'm sleeping finally and my anxiety is down. So um, it's just really rewarding to see these stories of people who are, are feeling better and they do feel more empowered. I've noticed this. They feel more empowered taking a supplement than feeling dependent on a medication, if that makes sense. Um, and there's, there's no problem with either. Like I say, I, I, I do prescribe both, but um, there's just a different feeling when someone is taking a supplement versus a medication. And how long on most of these supplements, how long do people generally need to be taking them? How long do they need to be on them? So um, typically it takes six months to a year to rebuild serotonin and dopamine stores as well as GABA. So I will recommend a six to 12 month, um, you know, continued administration of the amino acids. Um, the really cool thing is we can track their progress 
Another test that I failed to mention is we do urine neurotransmitter testing. So someone does a urine sample at various points throughout the day, and then we send it off to the lab, and it looks at all their neurotransmitter levels, including like glutamate and histamine and, um, you know, the dopamine, serotonin, GABA. And so we can gauge their progress. We can see the deficiencies before treatment, and then we can evaluate after treatment, and they always go up. They always mm -hmm. go up normal ranges. Very cool. And, and it's kind of fun to be able to see that things are shifting, things are changing in the, in the reports and, and the tests, and that they're feeling better as well. That kind of, I mean, that's got to raise their hope levels. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's great to see the objective data, but also that, you know, subjective report that they're feeling better and they're, they're doing better. So it is really exciting. So what's next on the horizon for you? I heard you say that you're trying to learn more about the gut and some other nutritional pieces. What are you working on next? Yeah, so it's going to be, I'm focusing on the gut and the gut-brain access and how to help heal a gut that's damaged, right, that has poor bowel motility or like diversity in the gut flora because there are stool samples that you can send off and look at all the gut flora, like all the different bacteria that are growing and living and thriving in that in that biome, right? So I'm, I'm focusing on that. I'm looking at, um, I think the dietary piece is so big, and so I'm trying to look into how can I coach my patients and encourage them to make healthier choices with their diet um, and help them to be more cognizant of the food that they're eating and what they're putting into their bodies, right? Sometimes I think we, we are using food as, a, an emotional support or like to suppress other emotions or feelings that we have. So looking at it more from the perspective, like how am I going to fuel this body that I've been given and how can I support it best um, to help them just, just to be able to make more, more uh, beneficial choices for them on a day-to-day -day basis um, without having uh, like an eating disorder or like, you know, going the opposite direction because we don't want that either. Yeah, definitely. It makes me, um, you were talking earlier about, you know, helping men make sure that their testosterone and their hormone le levels are well, are good um, or at a, an acceptable level. Because I know that testosterone, and you talk, can talk about this in a minute, but testosterone levels being really low, um, what kind of health issues cause, um, does that cause? So it can cause the depression, it can cause anxiety and sleep challenges. It definitely causes more adipose deposition, so like more fatty tissue of the chest and the gut. Um, you know, muscle mass will be decreased. Brain fog can also be accompanied by low testosterone levels, um, low libido, um, lack of drive, lack of desire, determination to do things. Um, and so, and heart disease. I mean, there's an increased risk of heart attacks and strokes when you have low testosterone. And bone density issues can also accompany low testosterone if, if it's been a prolonged period of time. So, um, so yeah, a host of things, high blood pressure, um, you know, high cholesterol, all of those things can affect it. Diabetes risk goes up when you have lower testosterone as well. So it's kind of, it's a big deal to get your testosterone levels evaluated. It is a big deal, and I've heard, I've heard men particularly be concerned that if my testosterone levels are coming up, Am I going to be more prone to trading, you know, my substance addiction for a sex addiction? Do you hear that? Do men talk to you about that piece? You know, they haven't. I mean, most of the men that I that I treat have been in a relationship or they're married, and so 
Um, that hasn't been something that they've they've enlisted as a concern. Um, but I mean, it's, I guess it could be a potential thing. I know that when dopamine levels have been low for so long and testosterone's been low for so long, the initial treatment phase, um, men feel like they're waking up, like their mind is more active and they're more alert and they're more focused and they're more energetic and they want to tackle projects and their libido is back, right? Um, but it's kind of an all-encompassing feeling of wellness versus just one focated part of, um, of the libido, right, and sexual addiction. But that being said, there are a lot of men that, and women who have dealt with drug addiction and they have a subsequent sexual addiction, right? So typically they're in therapy concurrently for both of those. So my hope is, is that as they're receiving treatment for both of those things, um, they'll have favorable responses to testosterone therapy. Yeah, and, and I love the way you talk and make the distinction between that overall wellness that happens. It's not just the libido, but I, I've heard people ask those questions anytime you're talking about shifting, you know, up, upgrading. I'm going to feel better. You know, how am I going to respond to feeling better because they felt low for so long? Um, so I love that you address that um, in, very, um, in a very healthy, well-rounded kind of a way is what they're going to feel, which is cool. Yeah, it's it is exciting. It's great to see. So let so, me so let me ask okay. you um, about about your own mental wellness, about your mental wellness, and how um, what do you do to keep yourself in a good place? Because um, you know the helping community right now is a little stressed with all of the burden that's been put on them, and so I always think it's interesting for people to talk about how do they stay in a good space. Yeah, I know. Thanks. That's an excellent question. So, so a little personal backstory on me. Um, I was it two years ago, about two, two and a half years ago. I felt horrible. Like I was just, I was going through the motions of living day to day, but I just was not able to focus well or concentrate. I was so tired, like bone tired, but I just, I couldn't nap. I had to live my life. So, so I decided to do a urine neurotransmitter test and I had no dopamine critical levels of um, my adrenaline, like my norepinephrine and epinephrine were in the toilet, very low serotonin, my GABA was okay, but I had so many like imbalances. So I started amino acid therapy and that's, that's why I'm so passionate about it. It changed my life, like it changed my life. I started to wake up better, my mind became more alert and active, my memory was back, my clarity was there, my verbal acuity was back. Um, my desire and drive to do things, to be with my family, to go to work was back. And so, I mean, it only took two weeks for me. It was very quick. And so I continue to take those amino acids because when we are under stress, and we're all under a lot of stress, right? But when we're under stress, then we burn through our neurotransmitters. And so I feel personally that I need continual replenishment for those because I also have two copies of the MTHFR gene, which inhibits my ability to process and produce neurotransmitters to the other cohorts and so I I do that every day I take my amino acids um, I take my cofactors like a B complex that's methylated I take vitamin D I take vitamin C I take zinc um, I make sure I get enough sleep so I'm in bed by 10 and I'm up at 6 I exercise every day except Sundays um, that's when I sleep in and use that time for rest and meditation um, I work with my, my family, you know, I try to continue to have a positive outlook and perspective of things, and, um, and I take adrenal supplements, so I take something to support my adrenals every day, my stress glands, 
Um, so those are some of the things that I do. And sometimes it feels like a mini part-time job. <laughs> <laughs> All those things. But um, it really helps me to be a better and more effective provider, which is important to me because I really want to be able to dedicate my heart and soul to my patients and to everyone that I meet. Super inspiring, Carson. I love I love what you bring to the table and your expertise. Um, one other question that I have is, I suspect that there's going to be a lot of listeners that want to reach out to you, that want want to take advantage of your expertise and what you know, and and because they're like, you know, they're probably asking themselves, you know, I'm feeling a little bit stressed. I'm feeling a little bit like I'm struggling or tired, and they're going to want to reach out. What's the best way for them to find you? So um, they can go to my website. It's www.bodybalancedcare.com, and that's with an ED on the end. And also my secretary, Corey, has a direct line at 801-224-3031. Awesome. Excellent. Is there anything that you would um, leave with our listeners before we end this today? And and I do want to thank you for coming because this has been fantastic information. Oh, thank you, Shelly. I would just tell them, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep pushing. Keep trying. Keep searching. Like I feel like we all have a healing journey, and sometimes that journey is short, shortened, and we heal really fast. Sometimes it takes time. It takes months to years, right? But don't give up. Don't give up, and know that there is hope. Know that there are, like, there are a multitude of different modalities that you can try to help with your symptoms and the things you're struggling with. And, um, and I, I would love to help you if you need help. I am available, and I, I really do try to dedicate all that I have to my patients. I love that message. Don't give up because there's always a, we, a reason, right? There's a reason to try something different and to get more help. So I love that. And, and I'll also say that, um, you know, in working closely with I Am Recovery at times and with Jared and the program that he's doing, I just hear fantastic things about the work that you do with, with those clients as well as I know you're seeing a whole bunch of other clients besides that. So Carson, thank you for your work and your, your dedication. It, it's making a difference and I sure appreciate it. Thank you so much, Shelly, for having me. I really appreciate it and it's great talking to you.